I think that nuclear deterrence works some of the time. They're scary bombs. And so sometimes people are deterred from using them. But I also think that they that nuclear deterrence as a process has um, a component in it that is inherently flawed, that will fail, that has a history of failure. Welcome. My name is Natasha Sherman, and I am your host. So my tagline says I do interviews ranging from tattoos to nuclear weapons, and today is actually about nuclear weapons. So my guest is Ward Wilson. Ward is widely acknowledged as the leading source of innovative, pragmatic arguments against nuclear weapons in the world today. He is a prize-winning author, whose writing, including five myths about nuclear weapons, was praised by Jonathan Schell as genuinely new, by Richard Rhodes as brilliant, original, and important, and by General Lee Butler, U.S. Air Force retired former commander STRATCOM, as the most intelligent, comprehensive, and compelling argument ever advanced against nuclear weapons. Ward has been widely published and has spoken in 23 countries on five continents, including at the Pentagon, the U.S. Naval War College, the French National Assembly, the United Nations, the Scottish National Parliament, the U.S. State Department, Harvard, Stanford, Georgetown, the Sorbonne, Nagasaki University, University of Pretoria, and others. So you've been busy, Ward. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you for being here. It's so, great to be here. I'm going to jump right in. You and I have talked before, and your book, The Five Myths About Nuclear Weapons, it is a myth that nuclear weapons are a deterrent. So bringing it to today uh, and the war in Ukraine, and then you know Russia occasionally raising the stick of nuclear weapons or the possibility of, and then we all go, oh no, we can't do that. And so it occurs in the world, I think, that having nuclear weapons deters us. And even if it's only the belief that it deters us, it's a useful deterrent. So what would you like to say about that? Well, there's all kinds of deterrents. You can deter a child from stealing a cookie by threatening to spank them. You can deter a dog from getting up on the sofa by hitting it with a rolled up newspaper. That's a paper thing we used to have in the old days. Um, <laughs> and um, and you can use nuclear weapons or conventional weapons or whatever. But the problem is that all those other kinds of deterrents occasionally fail. Even the death penalty doesn't stop people from committing murder. And so the question is, and that's a problem for nuclear weapons because in order to be safe, Nuclear weapons have to be perfect. They can't ever fail because the potential uh, results would be catastrophic. If, if there were a nuclear war, it would be hundreds of millions of people killed and serious damage to civilization and ec the economy worldwide and, and on and on and on. So that's a relatively hard, high bar to get over. And my argument, I, I think that nuclear deterrence works 
some of the time. Mm. Uh, they're scary bombs. And so sometimes people are deterred from using them. But I also think that they that nuclear deterrence as a process has um, a component in it that is inherently flawed, that will fail, that has a history of failure. And that component is us. We are the weakest link. Human beings are flawed. We, um, we lose our temper. We get carried away. We go insane. There are all kinds of problems with, with human beings. And if nuclear deterrence is a process, if human beings are flawed, which we obviously are, and if nuclear deterrence is a process that involves human beings, and it does, we make the threats, others evaluate the threats, others decide whether to respond and how, then nuclear deterrence is inherently fallible. It will fail. And one of the times it has failed in the past, uh, although we were lucky. And one of the times that it fails in the future um, will be a catastrophe. And, and so it makes no sense from a common sense, practical point of view to rely on deterrence because what you're doing is ensuring that one day there will be a catastrophic war with hundreds of millions killed and serious damage to civilization and, and the world. So. What about, and I'm going to jump around a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I agree. It's us. And we're the weak link. And all it takes is one. And inevitably, that will happen somewhere along the way, because it inevitably does. Um, what about something like uh, strategic nuclear weapons? Well, okay, so tactical nuclear weapons are the ones you use on the battlefield against troops, you know, during a war, the kind of thing that Putin's Oh, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. Oh, you want to talk about tactical? Yeah. Okay. Um, tactical nuclear weapons are um, interesting because they've never been used. We've lived through three quarters of a century and they've never been used. And people say, well, that's because there's a taboo or they're too horrible or whatever, whatever, it's immoral. But the fact is there's no weapon in history that was immoral, but people thought could win a war and they didn't use it. If, if people think they can win a war using an immoral weapon, they use it. That's just what history teaches us. So what does it mean that nuclear weapons have only been used twice 75 years ago and then never again and never on a battlefield twice against cities never on a battlefield can we use them on in small can we use well, nuclear weapons small nuclear weapons well yes um but here's a problem so most of the let's take ukraine putin says he's going to use nu nuclear weapons battlefield nuclear weapons most of the tactical nuclear weapons that Russia has that are intended for use on the battlefield are 10 kilotons. That means they're two thirds of the power of the bomb that destroyed Hiroshima. So the blast area, I hope I get this right. Uh, the blast area is something like a mile and a half. The, the most extreme effects, there's a circle of the most, and it's a mile and a half. And then there are more effects out to about four or five miles uh, with 
diminishing uh, intensity and, and uh, fatality. Well, the problem is in a war, when you're at the front line, your troops are pretty close to their troops. And if you drop a, a bomb on their troops, you're gonna kill some of your troops. And that's generally frowned on in war. Um, and you can use them behind the lines against a supply depot or something, although that's not, that's a little like attacking the tail of the snake instead of the head of the snake. But um, radiation from a 10 kiloton nuclear weapon can travel 25 miles in an hour, a lethal radiation and less lethal radiation can travel hundreds or even thousands of miles uh, over longer periods of time. So the problem with tactical battlefield nuclear weapons is that they are really too big and clumsy to use. And even if you can find a target, you have to wait for the wind to be blowing in the right direction. And it's often difficult to kind of wait <laughs> during a battle for the wind to change around to the right direction so it doesn't blow back on your own troops and kill you know some portion of your troops so um the i believe that the reason that they haven't been used is not because there's a taboo or they're immoral or whatever but because they're not very good weapons they're difficult to use it's really hard to find a, a good target to aim at you know, uh, it's interesting because uh, recently it was the anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and, and I was watching a special on people who had survived, who are now in their 90s, whatever, and, and doing art to reflect their experience, but also talking about it. And I think it was the most compelling argument. I think people need to see something like this, the people who survived and what they survived, because it's incomprehensible to us. It really is. And the unfortunate thing is they, they offered to take the art show, I think, to some American, uh, somewhere here in America, and some, some uh, veteran organization said, no, we, we are grateful to the Enola Gay, and we are grateful to this day that it ended the war. And there's the myth that you propose that ended the war. But for me, it all falls into, even if you believe that, that that did the job, why would you not have compassion for these people's stories? Why would you not face the reality knowing that, yes, we did what we had to do or thought what we had to do? I think what's missing is the humanity of it all. I think nuclear weapons and Hiroshima in particular have tied us in knots. I think that there's a lot of um, unexpressed sense of guilt or discomfort about having bombed Hiroshima and that the people who say that it was moral to do so, say so vehemently, they're still angry. Uh, about questions about that. And it, it it's an indication that there is a, uh, something morally uncomfortable for all of us that 75 years later, we're still trying to sort out, was it right, was it wrong? And there's still no agreement on that. So uh, 
I'm I might have more to say about that in the in the future. I've just been thinking about this, um, trying to sort through. There are a lot of telling things about the objections to nuclear weapons. They're often framed as rational, logical, but there are underlying um, underlying assumptions or uh, emotions that um, that's not an answer, but I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, that's the good news, that there's still reflection and inner conflict. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, you know, we're going to get to, like, how do we start to disarm? Who do we have to convince? Now, you said um, that you talked to 20-year-olds and they've barely even heard of nuclear weapons. I mean, in my mind, that's shocking. Are they living under a rock? I mean... It's uh, it's especially now. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, the thing is, what people often don't realize is that um, nuclear weapons uh, are like an asteroid. Um, people in who are against nuclear weapons get distressed and distraught because no one focuses on the issue no one talks about it you can tune in and find news programs where they're well news programs where they're shouting at each other about iran getting the bomb or north korea getting the bomb but they never talk about the risk of having the bomb and um i think that the um the the thing is that um, nuclear weapons are, uh, I lost my train of thought, I'm sorry. Well, it's um, the idea that they don't uh, think about the risk of having the bomb. And I think part of, I think that for me is, is the key thing in all of your arguments. And I want to kind of start talking a little bit about how we would start to disarm. Uh, but it's the idea that one day we're going to use them if we don't get rid of them. Yeah. I mean, that's clear and simple. Yes. As human beings, we have not lost our passion for war. We have not lost our uh, seeing killing each other as the solution mm -hmm. uh, to uh, whatever it is. Even on an individual level, if you look at what's happening anywhere, people, you know, if you say something that somebody disagrees with, you get a death threat. Yeah. So it's it's inherent in the mentality. So if somebody's going to use a gun, then somebody's going to use a nuclear weapon is the way I see it. So then the question is, how do we start the, to disarm? Well, I think that the way to start is to challenge the assumptions that experts have been telling us for 70 years. I think that a lot of the questions are framed incorrectly and a lot of the statements are doubtful. For instance, uh, advocates of nuclear weapons frequently say um, that nuclear weapons guarantee our safety and survival. Well, that proves they're not realists. Any realist will tell you there are no guarantees in life. And it seems to me that the, the fundamental question that we're asking that is the wrong question is, Experts have said nuclear weapons will always exist because you can't disinvent them. It's a very powerful argument because it's absolutely true. You can't disinvent nuclear weapons. 
But if you look a little closer and challenge the assumptions, what you'll notice is disinvention is not, it's an imaginary process. It doesn't exist. There is nothing that gets disinvented. That's not how technology goes away. What we ought to be doing is instead of trying to imagine some way to disinvent nuclear weapons, a process that doesn't exist, is to examine how technology actually goes away in the real world, not just nuclear weapons, but any kind of technology, you know, cell phones, um, DVD players, whatever, cars. And actually the evolution of technology is quite stable across the history of civilization. And it has four key phases, invention, you invent a product or some kind of something, uh, adoption, people say, oh, this is great, I'm gonna use this. Use, which goes on for a certain period of time, and then at some point you get abandonment. People say, ah, I'm not gonna buy a film camera. I'm gonna get one of those digital ones. Or, uh, and, and so- the I'm not question, going to buy an LP. Right, no more LPs for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so the question is not how do we disinvent nuclear weapons, but at what, what causes a piece of technology to be abandoned? And the answer to that, I believe, is pretty clear. It's utility. Sometimes we get rid of, we keep something for longer than we should because it's beautiful or because it's uh, worked its way into the culture or something. But by and large, utility determines whether you keep um, tools, weapons, um, sure. implements. And so the question is, are nuclear weapons useful? And this brings us right back around to the question about battlefield nuclear weapons. It's very hard to make a case that, that a weapon is useful that hasn't been used for 75 years or more. Mm. And so I think, I think that what we need to do is to make a two-part argument, one of which we've already made, which is that deterrence will eventually fail. So if you say that nuclear weapons are not very good weapons, they're difficult to find a real target for, they're hard to use, if you use them, there can be catastrophic consequences. So they're bad weapons. You want weapons you can actually fight with. You don't want weapons you can never use. We paid $5.5 trillion for nuclear weapons since 1945. We never used them once. That's kind of an odd, that's like- Odd investment. If you saw a guy on late night TV trying to get you to buy something that you were going to pay for for 75 years and never used, you'd kind of be like, well, I don't know about what I'm... So that's half of it. Are they useful weapons? And the other is, are they dangerous? And they clearly are dangerous because deterrence will eventually fail. So um, if I wanted to sell you a stove and I came to your door and said, uh, of course, there are no door-to-door -door salesmen anymore, but just imagine. So, and I, and I say, it's the latest technology and all your neighbors have one and it's really prestigious and it's expensive, but it'll be worth it. It's terrific. It's the best stove. It's the ultimate stove. And then you say, well, I'll think about it. And because I'm a bad salesman, I say, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. I should try to close the deal right away. So at night you do research online and you discover that the stove a lot of people complain it won't, it doesn't work. It won't even boil water. And then you find another website that the company that sells the stoves is trying to suppress that shows that 
sometimes the stoves spontaneously explode. Several people have had their houses burned down and a family in St. Louis was killed. So the question is, would you buy that stove? Would anyone buy that stove? And the answer is not even a crazy dictator would buy that stove. And if nuclear weapons are like that stove, if they're not very useful and if they're dangerous, then we don't have to solve the problem of how to convince crazy dictators not to build them. We just have to convince them of those two things, of that reality. Seems to me that the solution here is to preach reality. Uh, I get that, uh, but a lot of people don't like reality and practicality <laughs> or rationality. Uh, the other thing, I guess, it, like the logistics of it. So on the one hand, it's like, it would be like, okay, you first, uh, or who, how do we no, do this? No, 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 it's, it's metal. It's, so it's changing the mentality. Right, so the president goes, you get an American president, every, you know, no one in the expert community would ever, because their jobs depend on nuclear weapons being important. So you need a mass movement. You need to pressure politicians. You need the politicians to override the experts. And then at the end, you know, you have um, local town halls and state legislatures and Congress. And then eventually the president stands up and says, we think nuclear weapons are obsolete. We think they're stupid weapons. We were pretty stupid to invent them and think that they would be terrific. And we promoted them for years and that was silly because anyone can see, any, a 12 year old could see that they're not very useful and they're dangerous. So here's what we're gonna do. We're not gonna get rid of a single weapon, but we're gonna go around the world and our diplomats and our politicians are going to promote the idea that nuclear weapons are stupid weapons and they're dangerous. And we're going to talk to the British, we're going to talk to French, we're going to talk to the Indians, we're going to talk to Chinese. And eventually you build a worldwide consensus that, oh, yeah. And this is exactly what happened with chemical weapons and with biological weapons. They're both weapons that are difficult to aim, that have problems when the wind blows, that, you know, they're not really war fighting weapons. They're kind of extermination weapons. And they were both banned. Once people realized, you know, we had to fight a war with chemical weapons before we got the, the idea that, oh yeah, they're not really that useful because the wind changes direction, our own guys die and whatever. So I, I think that it is, a, and then once everyone's convinced, then it's easy because then they don't want to have nuclear weapons. They can't wait to get them to the dump so they can spend money on things that they can use that will be, you know, if you're a crazy dictator, you want to be able to fight wars and conquer people. You don't want to have to waste your money and then not have anything left over for the weapons that would allow you to conquer your neighbors. So I think, I think we need a dose of reality. I think we need to change how we see things and you change how you see things and then the process is not that hard. The, we're used to negotiations being agonizing. Years go by, experts, they argue and argue. But uh, I don't think it'll be that hard once everyone agrees, oh yeah, they're not great weapons. 
So you have people who have agreed with you and uh, who have actually given you money to or grant to travel around and talk to other people. Yeah. What do you notice? Do you notice any kind of shift in this myth of deterrence? Um, no, not. Uh, well, yes. So not because of my work, but uh, one of the mainstays of the myths about nuclear weapons is that everybody wants them. They're so fabulous that everyone wants one. And um, in 2017 at the UN, 122 countries voted for a treaty banning nuclear weapons. It, clearly those 122 countries don't want nuclear weapons. I mean, they're, they're voting to eliminate them. They passed a treaty. Um, they're now, I think, there are 86 signatories. And of those 86, 60, 68 have ratified the treaty. It's now in force in those countries that have signed it. And more countries are you know, signing on every day. And that's Did any changed... country with nuclear weapons sign that no. treaty? No, no, no. But 20 years ago, the, the seven, eight countries that had nuclear weapons um, you know, patted all the other countries in the world on the head and said, we'll talk about nuclear weapons. They're our problem. You're just little countries. We'll, we'll get back to you and tell you what we think. And now the non-nuclear countries are, they're making ground, more countries are signing on. There's weakness in a bunch of NATO countries, Netherlands, Germany, there are large constituencies in those countries, some case, some surveys say 70% that say that they want nuclear weapons withdrawn from their country. They don't like nuclear weapons. Um, the conversation's changed. Things are Well, changing. that's good to know. Yeah. So we only have a couple of minutes left, Ward. What is it that someone like me as an individual, you know, going about my life, hoping that nobody uses them, what is it that you would like people to think about or take action on? I would like people to be familiar with the arguments about reality and nuclear weapons, that they're fundamentally not useful weapons. I'm publishing a book called It Is Possible, pra Practical Essays on the Elimination of Nuclear Weapons. And I would love it if people would get that book and familiarize themselves with those arguments and then it's a process. You talk to people you know about nuclear weapons and make it so that discussing the problem isn't taboo and say, look, this is a serious issue and there is a solution. So we should talk about it. Yeah. And then you need a grassroots movement that starts at the local level and moves to the state and then moves to the national level. And I, I think the thing that I would like people to do most is hope. One of the things that worries me about the United States is that it seems to me that we are losing hope. More and more, we throw our hands in the air and say, oh, there's nothing to be done. Mm. And I think that on this issue, at least, there's no reason why we can't manage this. There's no reason why we can't get this done. It'll be hard. There'll be It'll require work. People will be afraid. They won't want to give up their nuclear weapons. We'll have to persuade people but it can be done. And I believe that. And I 
would like people to risk wondering if it might be possible and wouldn't it be better to live in a world without nuclear weapons? Yeah. Thank you. Um, we're at the end of our time. Uh, so um, thank you for doing this interview, but also for the work that you're doing. And I invite people to check out the book you already published and your upcoming book. And, and my website, yes. www.realistrevolt.org. I always forget to advertise myself. No, that's great. <laughs> Again, www.realistrevolt.org. Yeah. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you, Natasha. My name is Natasha Sherman. Thank you for joining us.